Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. So today we're going to talk about maybe the more uncomfortable subject of of realizing your own limits and the importance of realizing your own limits. And I thought maybe to start this conversation, maybe we would go around the table and if it's not too personal, maybe share a story from your past where you realized maybe you weren't as smart as you thought you were. And anybody want to jump in with uh, one of those stories? I think everyone in their young professional lives has to deal with this at some point, but does anything come to mind, either Brie or Karen? Oh, not me, Danny. I've, I've never had any moment like that. Oh, geez. Um, Karen, do you have any thoughts off the top of your head? Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I can think of a couple of specific situations and times in, in my academic life and professional life in the past where there have been sort of those come to Jesus moments, you know, a lot of the time. And Harrison's article talks a lot about this. I mean, a lot of people who are generally academically successful and, and smart, I suppose, as determined by a school environment are going to get built up a lot of the time and get good grades and be made to feel good about themselves. And I, I do, I remember a specific time in college when I, I took a, my first political science class. And after our first test, we got back, I had gotten, I think I had gotten a C minus on it. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure it was not just a C, it was a C minus. <laughs> and anyway, that was just not a grade I was accustomed to ever receiving. I was kind of blown away and, and super upset and depressed about it. I ended up going and chatting to the teacher, but um, it's just an experience I won't ever forget you know, I realized I had to work a lot harder in that class to be successful and that the teacher wasn't going to just give out grades for random verbose papers that didn't really have a point to them, which I, I definitely sometimes wrote. So that's one situation that stands out to me, of course, starting as a young associate at, um, you know, a prestigious law firm as well. There are going to be plenty of opportunities to get cut down. And I think the sooner you can realize and recognize that that's part of the process for everybody and that, you know, it really does make you better and it's not personal um, and that these partners, they went through the same process when they were junior attorneys, um, the better off you're going to be. I think it's easy to kind of start out and have this great job that you worked really hard to get and feel good about and think you're going to come in and be the best um person there and everyone's going to praise your work all the time. But, you know, the professional world is different than the academic world. And I certainly had plenty of experiences where I got called into a partner's office and asked why I didn't recognize X, Y, and Z issue, why I didn't, um, you know, draft the contract one way or the other. So I think, you know, one's an academic story, one is a professional story, and there have been many others over the years, but those two stand out in my mind as sort of pivotal for me personally. I have one from law school as well, kind of similar to Karen, where I, I was taking this, con the, it was contracts class, first year of law school. Um, to be fair, my teacher uh, later turned out to have Alzheimer's and he was very hard to understand. I think he had been not diagnosed um, at the time, but he was, he has, it was like a big name in like contract law. Anyway, midterm comes, I get a C plus. I was like, oh no, because you know how important first year grades are. Um, and it was just, it was a realization of like, okay, well, this guy, you have to learn how this guy thinks and how this guy wants to see answers. And it was a really good example of like, you can't, you think you, you're doing something, you know, you can't, you kind of have to adapt yourself to the situation at hand. And I ended up just taking for the final, I took, probably 25 practice exams and just looked at like his sample answers and like worked my tail off to like correct my 
to have to have to, to like deliver things in the way that he wanted to see specifically, which I think is a really important lesson in law too, because you have to kind of adapt to like different partners, what they want, what they want to see. So I ended up getting like an A plus on the final and getting an A in the class. Um, but that was definitely, you know, having had so much other success in law school, it was like, oh, you can't just sort of put it on autopilot and, and succeed. Um, and then when I got to the firm, um, just some embarrassing things that just happen when you're a first year associate, like you have this complex technology that you're using where you're like trying to save versions of things. And like, I didn't realize that if you could, like made edits on this document and you didn't actually save it and close it out, like the system didn't upload it. So I ended up sending a completely half formed like document for this like senior associate to review. And, you know, I just felt like the, the pit of my stomach. I mean, my stomach just fell out when she came, gave me back the results because, um, it looked like I was a complete idiot. So the reason that I asked that question is the conversation today is all about confronting criticism and dealing with criticism in a constructive manner. And I think we see this, especially in other people, there's at the risk of being reductionist, two kinds of people, those that can, you know, deal with being criticized and those that just deny, deny, deny when they are criticized. I, can, I just like to talk about this in the, in the legal field and your own experiences as recruiters, uh, and seeing those um, features in, in the people that you work with. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, about those that can deal with it and those that can't? I think one interesting thing that we see with candidates that come to BCG, you know, obviously we try to work with high caliber candidates with great credentials, great backgrounds and experience. Um, you know, we're able to be really successful with finding placements for those types of attorneys. But sometimes those candidates don't see their own weaknesses and, and it can be helpful for us to elucidate those to the candidate so that they can better be their, you know, be a better advocate for their own job search and, you know, help us help them in, in, a, in a better way. And so I think sometimes there are candidates that, you know, when I get, a, for example, a senior candidate who comes to BCG and chats with me and says, hey, you know, the very first thing I want to put out there is that I recognize I don't have a portable book of business. And that's something that maybe, you know, someone with my tenure should have. Here's why I don't have it. Here's what I am going to talk to potential future opportunities, you know, about with respect to that and how I plan to address this issue and how I plan to build a book of business over time. It, it's just interesting to me to see people who recognize kind of those, their own um, maybe weaknesses in their candidacy right off the bat versus candidates who come in and, and maybe would say like, well, why why would that be expected of me? Or I'm not concerned about that, or that's not what I'm really focusing on. And then, you know, as recruiters, we need to be the ones to kind of explain that's going to be what a lot of the, the firms are going to ask you about, given your seniority or given your time in private practice to date. Um, so it's just one example of, I think, self-awareness too, and actually intelligence with respect to, you know, you as a, as a candidate and as an individual and as an attorney in your career over time. Um, so it's interesting for me to, to deal with those kinds of candidates. Of course, there are some who maybe they haven't thought about it, but once you explain and talk to them further about, you know, maybe any of the weaknesses in their backgrounds, be it, you know, multiple job moves over time, seniority without a book of business, you know, perhaps academic credentials or transcripts, you know, grades they weren't proud about, whatever the case may be. Um, 
you know, the people who say, oh, yeah, I, I completely understand. That makes sense. Thanks so much for your professional opinion. How, you know, how should we move forward in a way that's going to alleviate some of these concerns or, or lead me to still be successful in my job search? Like, those are the people that we're able to really help and and kind of walk side by side with in their search and, and be successful with. It can be harder when there's attorneys that don't want to recognize those shortcomings and maybe aren't willing to open up their search more broadly to various different types of opportunities because they only see themselves as, you know, as good enough for a certain type of firm or a certain tier of opportunity. And those opportunities just might not land land in their lap the way they expect. So I guess all that all that is to say that, you know, being able to be honest with yourself about your shortcomings or, you know, aspects of your candidacy as a, as a lawyer and looking for a new job is really going to lead you to be a more successful um, candidate in your job search and lead you to have more opportunities, have a better relationship with a recruiter like at BCG, and ultimately add more value wherever you do land. Yeah. And I, th- I think it is important to think about not just sort of when you're about to leave and try to find a new job, but we really do this. This article really does go into becoming the best lawyer you can be inside of the firm and being able to take that criticism. So I think absolutely you should be expecting to be criticized, especially when you're like a young associate and you're learning things. I mean, if you're going to have sort of a weak stomach for that, you're definitely not going to survive. And, you know, people who are trying to give you guidance and mentorship are looking for somebody who can take that criticism and really internalize it and make something productive out of it. I'm really, I'm reminded of, I watch MasterChef, the cooking competition. And the most recent season, there is this guy who, you know, we have like Gordon Ramsay and like our own Sanchez and these like fantastic chefs who are coming around giving this guy advice and, and having, asking him some questions, making him think about like, what am I doing with this dish? And this guy kept all, every time they come over to me, be like, well, I know what I'm doing. I've done this a million times. And it would just completely like not listen or hear what that person was trying to teach them. Needless to say, he did not survive on the show for a very long time, but it really like, I was thinking about that when I was reading this article because it's like, that's, I mean, it's insane to kind of put up a wall to not hear and listen and take take that advice to heart because you are missing an opportunity to grow and learn for your own personal sake and the way that you're going to be viewed by the people who are giving that constructive feedback to you, are they're going to judge you negatively if you if you have sort of a defensive way of, of dealing with that criticism. I mean, everybody has the capacity and opportunity at a big firm to learn and grow and become an awesome attorney um, and, you know, a, a, a way the, the, a common path there is going to be riddled with criticism and constructive criticism, hopefully. I mean, hopefully it's not just tearing you down. Um, you know, there's some some people are better at than others. You know, it's interesting when we started this conversation and I asked for, you know, personal stories about having a bit of comeuppance in your careers. And both of you talked about incidents in when you were still in school. And I guess I'm surprised somewhat that you are encountering people that have made it through law school, indeed might be in their first three, four, five years of their career and still haven't learned this lesson. I find that kind of amazing um, that there are people that um, have gotten that far without having uh, some modicum of of self reflection. Should I be surprised? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are people who it, I think everybody has probably encountered some sort of um, hiccup along the way. I, you know, I think it's you can't always tell how people are 
internalizing that or reacting to that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guess I'm I'm not sure that people are coming into the, like the law firm world never having had that kind of experience, but they might have had that experience and just still not still don't know how to manage it properly. You know what I mean? Like they they, they might have just not learned their lesson um, from the past. Well, and there are so many, there is just so much that's different in the professional world than in an academic setting. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the most brightest and best law students and, you know, undergraduate students who get into the best colleges, the best law schools, and then the best firms, you know, have found incredible academic success. And maybe they did always get good grades um, in school or were able to figure out what was requested of them when there's a syllabus right in front of you and, you know, a book to study from and a test to take and compete against your peers. Um, Once you get into the real world, I mean, there are crazy clients, there are crazy partners, there are certainly um, a lot there's definitely a lot more interpersonal testing of your own skills and just, you know, EQ ability to, to deal with people in the, in the real world. And I think sometimes that can be a jolt of reality to, to certain types of attorneys that maybe have just been in the academic world for so long and found how to succeed in that. um, And just, and didn't realize that there's so much, um, there's just added context in everything you're working on in the real world when there's money being paid for your services and there are a lot of different clients and, and individuals that you're going to be dealing with. Um, and, and, you know, what I was talking about before, too, building a book of business, that's something and that's an expectation that comes along with uh, being an attorney over time in private practice that many attorneys have never, ever thought about. I mean, when you think about law, you think of it as a a professional career path, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher. Um, But it's interesting because as a lawyer, you're often selling your services and you're asked to do that more so over time than maybe you are in almost any of those other types of kind of traditional professions. And so I think that can catch some attorneys off guard who thought, you know, I just, I'm a studious individual. I'm going to come in and do great work at a at a law firm that has sophisticated work for me to do. And um, that kind of business development aspect of the profession over time and selling yourself is something they've never encountered before. And I imagine when they do um, get a job at a great firm, uh, at a top firm, they have a real reality check coming. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what law firms expect in terms of a lawyer's ability to deal and handle and manage criticism? <laughs> I think that once you get to like a big, a big firm, um, everybody has sort of already gone through the baptism by fire a little bit. So I think there is a little bit of a atmosphere already of like, this is how we work to kind of get you in shape to, to be producing the kind of work product that we need at the level that we need so that we can actually make you a profitable member of this team. So I, I know I remember, um, when my husband started at a big law firm, there was an old kind of crotchety partner there who was like, who would always say like, first year associates can't, can't write for shit. You know, and it's like, that was, that's sort of the assumption of these big partners. And so you have to kind of become, come in and be put through your paces. And I think that's definitely um, one of the, one way to teach is to kind of tear down and give criticism and make sure, like make people kind of hungry to do the work at the level that the per- the partner is asking for you to do it. So I think there's a little bit of a just like that's how it's that's that's how it's sort of set up in these firms is, you know, 
some you might get kind of torn down to get you know with the with the goal of getting you to be the best lawyer you can be they're not doing it just to be mean right. I mean maybe they are but <laughs> yeah <laughs> depends but there are there you know I think they, they want to bring you up to speed in a way that they 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 want to keep you on board I mean ultimately the law firm wants to get you performing at a level that you're a useful member of the team and that you stay there long term and that you can start taking things over for yourself and that you can be trusted with the you know to do a draft of a brief and not have to have it go through seven layer, layers of review so I mean that's it's like kind of in their best interest and and I do think there's a little bit of a weeding out um, aspect to it Um because I think if you if you can't handle that, you you might not have a long term prospect. If you can't kind of handle being being criticized like that, and again, I think it comes down to like what does this law firm think of your capacity to improve? You know, I think even if you start at like below where you should be, if you can take this constructive criticism to heart and make improvements, um, you know, that is something law firms always love to see is like you, you're getting better, you're getting better from, from wherever you start, that, you know, your trajectory is upward. Karen, do you have any thoughts about the expectations law firms have um, for young associates and their ability to deal with criticism? Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking of this example earlier when Bree mentioned something about putting up a wall. This kind of the flip side of that story. But I had a partner I worked with at one point who um, asked me to put together a draft of a contract. And I think in the you know the preamble or somewhere on the first page of this like twenty page contract. There was a date or a name or a number, some, you know, detail that had to get filled in in the contract that was wrong. And when the partner sent the draft back to me, he said, you know, I noticed the error on the first page and I I didn't think it was worth continuing to read after that because now I just don't trust, I can't trust anything else that's in this if there's an error right off the bat on the first page. And, you know, as as difficult as that was to hear, of course, I understood that. And to use Bree's words as well, there's such a, a need for trust when you have a partner associate relationship. I mean, these partners talk about business development. They have worked very hard to establish their clients as their clients and to bring them you know, into their book at the firm and have those clients bringing them good, solid, sophisticated work. And so they're looking for associates to help them with that and provide that service to their own clients. And if it's not going to be to their standards and and to the level that they require, they're never going to be able to trust you. You're not going to get the work from those partners and you're not going to make your hours and you're just not going to end up being successful. So I remember receiving that message and, and really taking that to heart because it's like it was, you know, it was a minor detail. It may have been the date was wrong, but the point is any small amount of error is going to create a, a trust gap. And, um, you know, I, I remember someone else telling me something along the lines of at least get the small details right. <laughs> like there are enough big things that you're working on when you're doing legal work that it's not a, you can't have an excuse to have anything small wrong because um, there's going to be a lot for you to deal with regardless. So, you know, those are those are learning, learning uh, situations and examples that I, I don't think partners are wrong in trying to teach associates because it's going to make you triple check everything else you do in the future. I mean, I don't think I ever had something wrong on the first page of a contract again after that. I think you need to look at it like th- this criticism really is a gift. It's a long term gift to your career because it makes you a better attorney. And that is exactly why you are so marketable coming out of um, firms or just I mean, even working with 
working with people that require and expect that level of perfection um, sets you up to just, first of all, you're learning how to how to do that work. And it's, it's a real training. So I really look at it as like a gift. I mean, it might not feel good all the time, but you will absolutely get to be a great attorney if you can like take all that stuff to heart. I think that's so true. I, I think we can all think of uh, moments in our careers or our academic careers where we made some horrendous mistake and had a strip torn off by our superiors. And it was horrible at the time, embarrassing. You're probably even furious at the person at the time because it was so hurtful, but you never made that mistake again, did you? Yep, exactly. You know, a lot of this boils down to to ego, which is a topic that we often cycle back to on this podcast and keeping your ego in check. And I wonder if we could concentrate on that for a moment as it relates to this point about um, being able to, um, I guess, have confidence, but not having an inflated ego. It's a bit of a delicate balancing act. Do you have any thoughts or advice even for people to uh, to try and manage that, that balancing act? Yeah, you know, the word ego is interesting. You know, I think a lot of, we've been talking about the types of successful law students who, um, and just students in general who end up, you know, getting jobs at good law firms. And for a lot of these people, you know, it's, it's not only like a confidence and a thought that, you know, you're, you're really good, or you're great, or, you know, you're better than your peers at X, Y, and Z. But it's, it's really this idea of who you are as a person, like, I am a successful person, I am a smart person, I am a capable person. And so, it's very hard to ever have that question, because it can really shake your, your, the concept of your own identity to its core. And I think what's important to remember for attorneys who go through those transitions is just that it's not, you know, again, this isn't personal. It is professional. And as Brie alluded to, and we've been talking about, this is ultimately um, their their way of trying to make you a successful lawyer and and lead you to be successful in your role at, at, at hopefully a great job that you are excited about having and that you love. And so being able to sort of separate out and, you know, have that mind over matter mentality of, you know, I'm still confident in who I am as an individual, my values, what's important to me and my strengths and what I believe those are. But that, you know, part of being that type of person is actually ensuring that you do take constructive criticism and continue to become better and and um, find ways to be successful in the role that you're in that you want to have. Um, and, you know, not ha- not have it give you a total identity crisis, but um, making sure that you can kind of separate out and re- recognize that this is for your professional benefit at the end of the day. Bree, do you have any advice about how to keep one's ego in check? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it really is. You just it's it, the, the advice is in and of itself the advice. I mean, it's it's hard. People who have a hard time with this um might have a hard time even listening to that advice, to be honest. So if, if if you are kind of unwilling to recognize your uh, your potential shortcomings, um, you're you're going to be in trouble. So it's it's kind of like you either you either can do it or you can't. I almost feel like so. As far as advice about how to do it, um, I think it's advice about understanding that it is important to do and to actually do it. You make a great point there that um, it is all about blind spots, right? And if your blind spot is so huge that you're not unwilling to accept any kind of criticism, then hearing this podcast, you're not going to recognize yourself in this, are you? But, but I guess this suggests a question. 
I mean, is it possible to to teach this to somebody? Or indeed, I wonder if you have any anecdotes from clients that you've had um, at the recruiting agency about um, you know trying to instill this to people, uh, recognizing in them that they they have this inability to to deal with criticism. Um, how do you kind of shake them back to reality, for lack of a better phrase? Well, you know, so you asked, kind of, is it is it possible to teach, or how can you know how can you possibly get through to people sometimes if they're a little bit unwilling or seem like they're not the personality to take this advice to heart. And I will say, I think to some extent, the messenger has a role in that. Um, You know, we've talked about criticism not being, you know, not intending to be mean or spiteful. It's really intended to be for your benefit. And of course, many of us have worked with partners or other individuals where, you know, they could care less about that, about whether they're sounding mean or, or being mean or not. Um, and I, so I, I do think to some extent the way that a message, uh, you know, constructive criticism is conveyed and that that's not so much advice for the candidate or for the attorney who needs to take the advice, but just that I think sometimes people are better able to learn these lessons when maybe they really have a trusted advocate or a mentor or a partner that they're working with in the firm who conveys you know, the criticism in the right way and talks about why and understanding the background of what went wrong or what they need to work on and how it's really going to help them over time. You know, I think that can help people kind of get that, remove that chip from their shoulder in those types of contexts, you know, so to the extent you can seek out mentors that you really do respect and care about and maybe even have a collegial relationship with, but that are still going to give you some of that feedback. Um, I think those might be better opportunities opportunities for learning if you can find them, if you're the person that otherwise has a hard time or has trouble with your ego. Uh, And then the other thing I I actually think is just time. You know, we've all been in the situation where we receive criticism in the moment and we're offended and we don't, we think the person's wrong. And this happens in everyone's personal lives as well as professional lives. And you come away and you're super, you just can't believe the other person is so stupid and doesn't have any idea what they're talking about. And then you give yourself, you know, a couple hours or a few days even, and you start to come around to recognizing that there are multiple sides to every story and that there's more to see in the, in the, in the situation. So I think in terms of advice to, to lawyers to struggle with that, just making sure that you take criticism in the moment, um, hear it. And even if you're not able to process it or to digest it at the time, because you're offended, just don't totally wipe it away from your memory. Keep that email in your inbox, you know, come back around to the contract or the brief a few days later when you have a cooler head and um, try to get some redeeming value out of those, out of those comments you received. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. Time is a great weapon in that sense. <laughs> And there's always like a real um, risk that if you're not getting criticized or, or at least being managed on a regular basis, um, you're going to, you're not going to improve. Uh, and, and, and indeed, if you really want to seek out criticism or at least critiques. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that, about trying to develop, uh, you, you touched on this briefly, Karen, about seeking mentors, seeking coaches. I think that for those listening that, that want to ensure that they don't fall into this trap, that that, that might be a, a great piece of advice that you need to kind of almost actively seek it. Of course, if you really screw up, you're probably going to get it anyway. But um, th- there's a real benefit, I think, in in, in trying to be critiqued and criticized on a regular basis because it's going to make you better. Well, two things on that point. Number one, attorney's most valuable asset is their time. 
So a senior partner who is not going to spend a lot of time giving you constructive criticism, giving you feedback, trying to make you a better attorney, if they see that their you know feedback is falling on deaf ears and they're never going to get anywhere with you and they've ultimately given up on the possibility of you becoming the type of attorney that they can work with over time. So you're absolutely right. I mean, their time in giving you any response is an investment in you, whether you see it that way or not. And the ones who aren't getting any feedback or or attention to paid to their work or um, time from partners, you know, that they might be able to get work from over time or who may become, you know, a good colleague and working partner of theirs. I think that's that's certainly the worst position, worst position to be in than someone who's having a lot of attention paid to them because people really want to invest in making you a better asset and a better colleague um, and a better associate at your firm. And I, I think the other thing, too, is just that um, those relationships of advocacy and mentorship within firms, those are going to help you become better lawyers. But those relationships are also going to be there for you as you're developing in a book of business, as you're working to become, you know, con- considered for partnership over time at your firm. And those people are going to recognize if you're really trying to take their feedback to heart, that's going to turn, that's going to make them feel good <laughs> that you are paying attention to what they have to say and really care a lot about being there and being good for them, um, which is in turn going to make you more of an appealing, you know, prospective co-partner someday at the firm for those types of attorneys. So the more you can spin things in a positive direction uh, with all those kinds of things, the more those relationships are going to become mutually trusting and you're going to have those to be behind you and be have your back as you continue to progress within the firm. Bree, do you have any thoughts about um, looking for mentors or coaches to try and improve yourself? Uh, it might be an awkward question to go up to somebody in the firm and go, hey, um, am I doing a good job? But uh, uh, maybe short of that, any advice? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you are working with maybe like a, if you're, for example, a junior associate and you're, you don't necessarily have a quote unquote like mentor, um, but you are working usually when you're working with like a junior level or like even more of a senior level attorney like associate in the firm you might be working on the same case and you're doing like a first draft of things and you know just being making that person aware that they would be very you'd be very appreciative of any like overarching comments and feedback outside of just like a red line of that you're doing on the on the brief or something where where you've just those people that you're actually working on a case with and are actually seeing your work and understanding how you're working those might be good people to just approach and just start to have a conversation and kind of see where it can where it can take you but you might be able to find somebody I certainly did um, I worked with some absolutely amazing like people who were just like three years older than me who had already kind of gone through it and learned some things that you're kind of able to to pick their brain and understand how should I be thinking about this or what what are some things that you're seeing that I'm doing wrong. Um, so outside of like a, you know, a, a real mentor that you kind of randomly go up to, you can kind of develop naturally over the course of who you're working with. Does anybody have any closing thoughts before we, we exit? I think it's just important to remember you're not alone in getting criticism. And I think sometimes you can feel like you're on an island if you it feels very personal and very much directed at me that I'm, I'm failing here. Um, and just remembering that this happens to everybody um, and that it's part of the process and it's part of what makes you better. So it's it's not a personal thing 
um, at all. I would echo those comments. I was sort of going to say something in the same vein, which is just, you know, if you can have this mentality of, of mind over matter with some of this stuff that, you know, try, try, truly try not to take it personally, recognize that this is part of being, you know, where you are, which is a very hopefully successful place to be, which is with, a, you know, employed with a firm that you enjoy and doing, you know, interesting work. And, um, you know, the, the more you can look at it as part of the job, part of the role, part of the work you need to be doing to continue to get better um, and, and leave your ego out of it to the extent that you can, I think the, the better off you'll be. I think that's great advice and, and a good place to leave the conversation today. I enjoyed this very much. Thanks for making time. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny.